Well, today we're going to continue our expository series on the book of First Peter. And today we're uh, at the second last, so we're coming to the end of the series, but we're going to be looking at leadership. Everybody, can, can you repeat that back to me? We're looking at leadership. leadership. Amazing. And uh, it's quite a hot button topic, don't you agree? Leadership nowadays, wherever you go, whether it's in the corporate workspace, whether it's on uh, TV, we're always talking about leaders, becoming better leaders, greater leaders. And no wonder, because don't you agree that in this time, the world needs good leaders? Don't you agree? With everything that we're facing right now, on, from a political level, from a moral level, from a, a church, from a pandemic level, from every, from every level, we need good leaders. And we don't just need competent leaders, but I believe that uh, as Christians, we need Christ-like leaders. It's not just enough to have leaders who are competent in their field, who are technically proficient, who know what they're talking about, but we need leaders who model after Jesus. Amen? So that's what we're going to be looking at today in 1 Peter chapter 5. It's only four verses, four verses, but we're going to spend a little bit of time unpacking that, and we're going to allow God to speak. So would you join me as we lift up this moment in prayer? Lord Jesus, we come before you with a posture that is open, that is surrendered. Lord, that wants you to come and speak to us. Lord, we recognize that in our ways, we don't always know best. In many ways, Lord, we, we fall short of all that you are. And so, Lord, we humble ourselves before you today, and we ask that you speak to us. We ask, Lord, that your word come and convict us and show us who you are so that we can become more like the God that we serve. We love you and we glorify you in this place. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, our passage for today is 1 Peter chapter 5. So if you've got your Bibles, flip open to there. We will be reading it. It should be on the screen as well. It says this, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings. Now that's going to be important, so hold on to that. Who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Amen. Well, the, our passage today starts off with this. It says, to the elders among you. So this is who it's written to. And then he says this, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings. So everything uh, that we're going to be talking about today, I want you to keep in mind this backdrop, that Peter is writing as someone who has witnessed the sufferings of Christ. And that is going to impact everything that he says, right? It's going to influence his encouragement uh, to the elders in this location. So uh, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ. Now, let's just unpack for a moment what is an elder? You know, you hear that term thrown around in church a little bit, right? We have church elders. Uh, in the Asian context, an elder is someone who's not so young. Um, which actually, when you go to the Bible, the original Greek word for elder is presbyteros, which in literal translation means someone who is older in age. So the Asians don't have it too far off. But by its application, it's not just talking about people who are older, but it also speaks that, uh, of the maturity and wisdom 
that comes with age, that should come with age. I'll just leave that. Um, And as you get more mature and as you get more wise with age, it qualifies you for leadership. So in its application, eldership is not, being an elder is not just talking about someone who is old or older, but it is talking about, about someone who has the maturity and wisdom which has qualified them for an office or a position of leadership. Everyone with me so far? Cool. And according to this passage, elders are called to have two roles. We see that they are called to be shepherds and to be overseers. To be shepherds and to be overseers. All right, the first thing is to be a shepherd. What is the role of a shepherd? Now, lest we read our own kind of um, understanding of shepherds into the text and we think, well, shepherds shear sheep. And so, you know, we should be going around shearing sheep. No, that's not what the Bible is saying. But when the Bible refers to shepherds, the main context that it's referring it to, whether it's referring to God as our shepherd or leaders as shepherds, is the feeding and the tending of sheep. Amen? John chapter 10 says this, uh, when Jesus is talking, he describes himself as the good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. In verse 14 of that same chapter, he says, I know my own, he's talking about his sheep, and my own know me. So already we have this idea that a shepherd is supposed to sacrifice, to, to lay down their life for their sheep, right? And we see that they're supposed to be known by their sheep and their sheep to know them. There is a closeness of relationship there, right? Psalm 23, it talks about the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down beside still waters. He restores my soul. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they, they comfort me, right? So what, what, is that, what is that passage talking about when it talks about the Lord being our shepherd? It's saying that he leads us, he feeds us, he sustains us, he protects, he guides us. That is the role of a shepherd. Ezekiel 34 uh, echoes this in, in verse 23. I will set over them, this is the Lord speaking, I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. So a shepherd, their role is primarily to feed, to tend, to guide, to lead, to care for the sheep. Amen? And the second thing is to be overseers. And it's similar, uh, but it it basically means to look over, to carefully inspect, to look after something. So what we see from this passage is that an elder or a leader someone who has been given the office or rank of a leader, whether in the church, well, in this case, it is the church, but uh, is supposed to look after, to care for, to carefully inspect, to lead, to feed, to teach, to guide the sheep. Everyone with me so far? And we can see that 1 Peter chapter 5 is written specifically to leaders in the church. But before everyone here tunes out, I want to put forward to us that the principles that, first, uh, that Peter is talking about here in this passage, does not, they do not just apply to church leaders. They apply to all kinds of spiritual leadership. All kinds of leadership. So today, if you're here and you find yourself in any, 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 any kind of, any area of influence, any kind of spiritual leadership, whether you are a husband who is, who are called, who is called to lead your wife, whether you are parents who are called to lead your children, whether you're a CG leader here called to uh, lead, shepherd your connect group, a church leader, whether you're in business and you find yourself in some sort of management position and holding authority over people, 
today's message, today's principles apply to you. So don't think here for a moment that I'm just talking to the pastors and the the zone soups and and the people who are in the upper echelon of church leadership here in this place. Is that okay? So this word is for everyone here today. So let's look at it. How are godly leaders called to lead? According to this passage, if we want to be leaders who follow after Jesus, remember Peter is thinking about as a witness of Christ's sufferings, what leadership mantras, what leadership core convictions has he distilled from witnessing the sufferings of Jesus Christ? Well, he starts off in in verse two and he says this, uh, when he says, watch over your flock, not because you must, but because you are willing. His first instruction for leaders is this, check your attitude. Check your attitude. Are you obligated or are you willing? Are you obligated or are you willing? Are you doing things because you must or because you are willing? You know, in a time, and we know from our series on First Peter, where the church was suffering all sorts of persecution for their faith in Jesus, you can only imagine, right, the challenges being a leader of the church during that time, right? Because being a leader during good times is hard enough. But being a leader during a moment of crisis, that is a whole nother level of difficulty. Maybe it meant for them that there was a bigger target on their back because you're now the leaders of the Christian movement in your area. So whatever persecution is coming to your church members is coming to you twofold, right? Or maybe, maybe the pressure was on not just from outside the church, but even inside the church as the pressures of life and the persecution begins to weigh heavily on the people and their resolve begins to crack and their 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 faith begins to waver a little bit and then now they're receiving well how do we how do we lead our people in this kind of situation and maybe the pressure is not just from the outside but from inside as well but peter was encouraging the elders the leaders of the church during that time he says don't lose heart don't lose heart church you know there is a um there is a nobility in doing something that is hard just because you have to. You know that? Because you're obligated to. Because someone has to take responsibility. Uh, I don't want to downplay people who step up to do something difficult just because they have to. And there is a sort of nobility in that. But inside the church, there is something even greater than this. And it is when someone takes up a position or a task or a role, not because they have to, but because they want to, because they are willing. Because actions done out of a willing heart trump actions done out of obligation every single time, amen? I mean, it's, 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 it's true in everyday life. You know, when I think of this, I think of my, uh, my teenage years as a high school student. Um, I grew up in a household where uh, all the kids were encouraged to uh, learn piano. And, uh, oh, my mom's here today. Hi, mom. Um, So one of the rules of of our household was uh, growing up was my mom sent us for piano lessons every week, and she was very faithful in doing so and wanted the best for us. And, hey, look, I'm a worship pastor now, so it turned out well. But one of the rules was, every day, you must practice the piano for one hour. You will go into that room for one hour and you will practice. And uh, it was an obligation for me as a, as, as a teenager who just wanted to spend my time doing whatever I wanted to do. 
Um, and my mum was strict to the point where um, she would, the minute I came back from school, she'd be like, one hour, one hour today, one hour. And then as I walk into the room to start practicing my piano, she would shout out, she would be doing something. She'd be like cooking in the kitchen, pre prepping a meal, she'd be like cleaning the house, something like that. And she would shout out, 4.58, huh? One hour. And then she would put a clock in the room. So that as I practice, I cannot leave before 5.58. And so being a child or being, okay, not, not a child at that age, a, t a teenager at that point, I'm just like, oh, fine. And so you get into the room and you find whatever you can to kind of make the time go faster. So you, like, you bring a magazine into the room and then like, you play a song and then you start reading the magazine and you play a little bit again. And then I remember, I was like, oh, maybe, maybe I can, I can uh, make some time up by my going to the bathroom. So, so I would go to the bathroom, and um, my mom would time me in the bathroom. <laughs> so she would allow me to go for however long I needed to go. So even if I spent 20 minutes just sitting there, just, just, just trying to while away the time, when I came out, she'd be like, 20 minutes, huh? So add 20 minutes to your one hour. Not 5.58, now 5, 6.18. 6.18, you finish. That was how strict she was. And it became an obligation, but every day, come hell or high water, I would be in that room practicing piano at least for an hour. Now compare that to actions that are done willingly. I remember those kind of memories vividly, but I also remember times where out of um, just wanting to make my mum happy, I would take on some chores without even being asked. Right, whether I'd like wash the dishes, I'd, I'd vacuum the house, I know she's uh, busy with something, I'd do something. And I would do it without being asked, not out of obligation, but willingly. Right? And when she came home or when she was uh, pleasantly surprised when um, she's about to pull out the vacuum and I'm like, ha ha, I've done that already, it's okay, it's okay. <laughs> um, it would bring pleasure to her heart, right? Because what is it about willing actions versus actions that are done out of obligation? What does it show? It shows that there is a desire to please, right? And where there is a desire to please, what that shows is that there is love. And that is why God wants us to lead because we love. Not because we're obligated to, not because, well, no one else is stepping up, so I guess I have to become this connect group leader now, but because we love. We both love God and we love the people that we are called to lead. And so that's why actions that are willing always beat actions done out of obligation. I mean, think about Jesus, right? Hebrews 12, it, it, it records this. He says, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, and notice his motivation here, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Remember, Peter is thinking about uh, the sufferings of Christ. He witnessed the sufferings of Christ on the cross. And he's thinking about that, and he says, in view of that, when I see Jesus, when you lead, when you shepherd, do it willingly and not out of obligation because this is who Jesus Christ is. This is what he modeled in his suffering for us. This is who our Lord is. Church, Jesus did not go to the cross just because he was obligated to, but because he was willing to in obedience to the Father and because of his great love for you and for me. You know, aren't you glad, church, that Jesus wasn't begrudging in his sacrifice for us 
Aren't you glad that he wasn't dragging his feet, being forced to the cross against his will, but that his love for us is so great that he would willingly endure shame and ridicule and torture so that we might know him and be reconciled to him. That's the God that we serve. He's amazing, amen? Amen. So the first thing that Peter says is, hey, check your attitude. Are you willing or are you obligated? The second thing he says is this, check your motive. Are you self-centered or are you other-centered? Because the second thing he says is, do not pursue dishonest gain, but be eager to serve. Right? The term dishonest gain is translated in, in different translations as greed or shameful gain or filthy lucre. In other words, money which is obtained dishonestly. So when Peter is warning this, he's saying, don't do this, don't lead to benefit yourself, but rather be eager to serve to benefit others. In other words, be other-centered, don't be self-centered. You know, in the workplace today, when people think of getting promoted or advancing to the next level of leadership, what they're usually thinking about is the benefits that accrue to them. Am I right? Right. People usually think about, why would I want to step up to the next level? It's because I get a bigger paycheck, better benefits, higher title, bigger office, corner office, better views, more respect from my coworkers. They're thinking about all the things that benefit themselves. But how many of us, when we're thinking about advancing to the next level of leadership, are thinking about doing it so that we can serve others? But that's what Peter is getting at. That's how it's meant to be in the kingdom of God. We step up to lead, not to benefit ourselves, but because we are eager to serve people. You know, it may not be monetary all the time. I mean, I know in this passage it's talking about monetary gain, but perhaps it's gain in other aspects, right? Did you know that you can parent for your own gain? Do you know that? You can have the, the spiritual authority, the leadership in your family as a parent, and use that and do it for your own gain. You know, in some cultures, um, particularly the Asian variety, um, <laughs> parents can live vicariously through their children. Don't you agree? You know, everything is carefully controlled, and any behavior that is seen to be out of line or, or un, un, unworthy of the family name uh, is quickly and strictly dealt with because it reflects back on them as parents. And the motivation is not what is best for the child, but the motivation is what looks best on me as a parent, right? You can also be a leader in the church for your own gain. Do you know that? We can step up to lead in church ministry not because we love the people, not because we want to serve the people there, but because we want others to think about us a certain way. Or because we want others to be able to see what I can do, what I can offer, how I lead. I want to be known as, oh, Dave, Dave's a good worship pastor. Dave can lead well. This doesn't just show up, and we've got to be careful here because this doesn't just show up in the proud, arrogant um, leaders, right? Because everyone easily identifies a proud leader by the one, oh, look at that guy, he's such a show off. He's so loud, he's so boastful, he's always showing off how good he is, or what, what he can do, you know, like by the way he speaks, by the way he talks, all the things, and he's always like showcasing on Instagram and social media, oh look, I did this, I did that, oh, that's such a show off. It doesn't just show off there, but it also shows up in the insecure leaders as well. Be careful, 
Because really, when you talk about the insecure leaders, what is it that is on their mind? What are they thinking about? They're thinking about, oh, what do others think of me? So who are you leading for? Are you leading to serve others? Or are you leading for yourself? It's not just the proud, arrogant leaders, but it's the insecure ones as well. But here, Peter is saying, leaders, check your heart, check your heart. Do you lead to benefit yourself or do you lead to benefit others? You know, when Peter was looking at um, the sufferings of Christ, uh, this is what he saw, that Jesus did what he did not to benefit himself, but to benefit others. And there's a peculiar thought that goes around in, church, um, in churches nowadays. And the thought goes something like this, that Jesus went to the cross for his own glory. Jesus went to the cross for God's glory. His primary reason for dying wasn't for the benefit of others, but it was for his own glory. And when someone says that, what they're trying to say is that the death and resurrection of Jesus was primarily to showcase the glory and the righteousness of God. And while I don't uh, necessarily disagree with that statement, and there's some merit to this thought, I would suggest that what Jesus had in mind, that as he went to the cross, was not just about the glory of God, but also his love for people, his love for mankind. Could it be that Peter, as he was witnessing Christ going to the cross, taking the stripes on his back, saw and caught not just a glimpse of the glory and the righteousness of God, but God's great love for people. Could it be that everything that Christ did, he did for our benefit? That is the kind of God that we serve. And so if we are to lead like Jesus, we have to also check, uh, we have to check our attitude, but we also have to check our motive. Are we doing things for ourselves? Whether you're a parent, a husband, a leader, a boss, are you doing things for yourself? Or are you doing things for others? And the third thing Peter says is check your posture. Check your posture. And he makes this comparison between an overlord and a servant. He says, do not lord it over those who are entrusted to you, but be examples to the flock. You know, nowadays it's so easy for those with authority to abuse it, right? We see it every day. Think about all the evil dictators throughout human history who were granted positions of authority and used it uh, for their own benefit, and they allowed the authority that they were given to get to their head. Think about even the corrupt leaders in church history. <laughs> it is so easy. It's such a temptation. Somewhere along the line, every leader has to deal with the temptation that increased authority brings. And is that, it's that, will you allow that authority to get to your head? You know, we've all seen those examples of, um, or, you know those videos online of, of, of uh, police of cops, especially, it happens to be in the U.S. a lot. I don't understand. Maybe it's just a U.S. thing. <laughs> but um, where cops pull over people and they use excessive force or they're kind of uh, a, bit of, uh, a bit of a power trip, uh, exercising their authority and uh, demanding, hey, you do this, you do that. You have to do it because I'm a cop and I tell you to do this, you know? Have you seen that? Uh, that's what we call a power trip. When someone does something for the sake of being able to control people, we always say that person is on a power trip. But Jesus models for us a different kind of leadership, right? Jesus offers us the example of leadership by example. Leadership by example. I want to show a picture for everyone here. Uh, has anyone seen this 
uh, picture that is coming up behind me. Now, leader versus boss, all right? You see them in leadership workshops that go around nowadays, trying to, uh, especially even in secular, uh, secular workshops, how to be the kind of leader that you're meant to be, right? And on the top, we have the old school boss, and he's sitting up there in his ivory tower, and he's telling his minions, hey, do this, do that, go there, go here. And he's being carried by uh, the efforts of those underneath him. But, but underneath that, we have a leader. All hands on deck, first to put their hands to the plow, leading by example, doing the same work that everyone else is doing. Where did this idea come from? I'll tell you something, it didn't come from a leadership guru. <laughs> first Peter chapter five. Don't lord it over those entrusted to you, but lead your flock by example. Amen? You know, leading like Jesus is a call to lay yourself down, not to lift yourself up. We have to catch this, church. It's really important. Leading like Jesus is a call to lay yourself down, not to lift yourself up. In Matthew 23, Jesus was uh, describing the Pharisees. And uh, he describes this kind of leadership when he's making this comparison. He says, so Jesus said to the crowd and his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat. So you have to be careful to do everything that they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and they put them on other people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything that they do is for other people to see. They make their phylacteries wide, their tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. But you, and this is Jesus talking to his disciples, you are not to be called rabbi for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father for you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. And he says this famous line, the greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And so Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 5, is simply echoing what Jesus is saying. That Christian leadership, catch this, not just in the church, but everywhere. If you are a Christian and you are a leader, Christian leadership is not characterized by a top-down, heavy-handed, respect my authority, do what I say kind of leadership. But it is characterized by setting the example. We cannot bank on do as I say and not as I do, but we must be, as Christian leaders, the first to put our hands to the plow and say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That is why the leaders that we most respect, right, are not the ones who are sitting off in the ivory tower somewhere, disconnected from the everyday man while we all do the hard work and then they reap the benefits and, oh, look where I brought the organization, look what I've done. But we respect the leaders who are willing to get down and do the dirty work themselves, right? The leaders that, that even though they have the title and the position, they are willing to put their hands to the plow, get dirty and lead by example. So can I encourage you, CG leaders, bosses, managers, hey, don't be top-down, heavy-handed, overlording it over the people who have been entrusted to you, 
but let's be leaders who lead by example. Consider Jesus' example, right, of self-sacrifice and humility. Where in the world will you see a king and a lord wash his followers' feet? You won't find it anywhere. You don't see Elon Musk going around washing the feet of the employees of Tesla, right? Where in the world would you see a king and a lord suffering on the cross, dying for the benefit of his employees, of his subjects, for his followers? That is the kind of leaders we are called to be. Remember Peter witnessing the sufferings of Christ. He's telling us, hey, don't lord it over you, because Jesus didn't lord it over us. He set an example for us. You know, in the world, as you rise through the ranks of leadership, there is an expectation of greater privileges, greater authority, a larger office, a bigger paycheck, better benefits, better treatment. But in the kingdom of God, spiritual leaders are called not to expect more, but to lay themselves down more. We are called not to a higher level of loftiness, but to a greater level of humility, to serve and not to be served. In the kingdom of God, the leader of leaders is the servant of servants. That is who our God is. He's not sitting on his laurels up there in heaven expecting everyone, serve me, serve me. You know, even though he could, and that is what he rightfully deserves, but instead he brings himself down low. And when we say that, we don't even begin to grasp the magnitude of that statement. That the Lord of all creation, the one who was and is and is to come, the one who was there before space and time, the one who created everything, blesses everything, holds all life together, would bring himself down low to relate to us, to serve me, to serve you. What a God we have. Amen. What a God who is worthy of praise. You know, one theologian, he put it this way. He says, it's remarkable that the Lord would call himself our shepherd. Because in Israel, as in other ancient societies, a shepherd's work was considered the lowest of all works. If a family needed a shepherd, it was always the youngest son, like David, who got this unpleasant assignment. Yet Jehovah has chosen to be our shepherd, David says. The great God of the universe has stooped to take just such care of you and me. That is the God that we serve. Not an overlord, but a leader by example. So my question to us here today is this, church. What kind of leader are you? What kind of parent are you? What kind of husband are you? What kind of boss are you? Are you an overlord or are you an example? Are you a servant? Parents, you know, if you want to see submission in your children, may I just probe a little bit and ask, can they see submission in your life? If you want to see earnestness and passion for the Lord in your children, can they see that in your life? Or, at the quickest flick of a finger, do they see that other priorities jump in just like that. You say one thing, you do one thing. Are you leading by example? Church leaders, connect group leaders, if you want holiness 
and righteousness and integrity in your people, my question is, to all of us, including myself, can your people see that in you? It's one thing to preach a good game. It's one thing to have the cell material out, the connect group material out, and say, well, today we're talking about holiness, righteousness. Today we're talking about pursuing God. Today we're talking about revival. Can they see that in your life? Can they see revival happening in your life? Leaders, humility. If you want to see humility in your people, can they see humility in you? Huge thing. Are you willing, as God was willing, to stoop down low and to do even the small things, even things that are below your pay grade, the things that you get the interns to do, photocopy things, get you your coffee, you know? Are you willing to stack chairs? Are you willing to clean up? Are you willing to humble yourself and stoop down low because that is the God that we serve? Do they see it in you? Is that the kind of leader you are? So those are Peter's instructions uh, to leaders. If you want to lead like Jesus, first you need to check your attitude. Are you obligated or are you willing? Check your motive. Are you self-centered or are you other-centered? And then finally, to check your posture. Are you lording it over your people or are you serving them? And then he says this. He talks about a reward and he talks about accountability. First Peter chapter 5, verse 4. The last verse, it says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Okay, let's, let's, let's catch this. First thing it says is that Christ is the chief shepherd, right? What does this mean? It means two things when, when I think about it. First is it's that Christ is the perfect example of what a shepherd is, and that makes him the chief shepherd, correct? He is the perfect example of what a good leader, a Christian leader, should be like. But secondly, it also means this. He is the shepherd to which all other shepherds must answer to. He is chief in position. Everyone who has any form of leadership authority on earth is merely delegated authority. We are middle management. No matter how far you rise, it doesn't matter if you are the CEO of your organization, you are middle management because you are subject to the chief shepherd. We are all answerable and accountable to Christ. But look carefully what happens with this chief shepherd. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade. And so what the Bible is saying is that there is a reward for those, and in this context, who step up to the leadership in church. A crown of glory. And what, what, what is it about this crown of glory? Well, first of all, it is given by the chief shepherd himself. So it is glory that is attributed to you, not by man, but by God. And what an amazing thing to have the king of kings crown you with glory. To be able to say to you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Amen? Not, not the praises of man, which are here one day and gone the next, but a glory that is given from the chief shepherd himself. And what else do we learn about this crown of glory? It's that it's non-fading. It's never fading. It's non-temporal. You know, uh, what Peter had in mind, what some scholars say, is he had, um, he had in mind the, the crowns that were given to athletes, Olympic athletes of those days. And during those days, they didn't get medals like we, you know, gold, silver, bronze that we get nowadays. Not, not we. <laughs> I've never got a medal. <laughs> Let's be real. <laughs> but the, Olympi the Olympians today get. But he's talking about crowns of leaves, 
that they would award Olympic medalists. And one, and one preacher made a joke about it um, because those leaves were like, they were olive leaves or sometimes like parsley and stuff like that. And he said, can you imagine training your entire life to be given salad? And I was like, oh, that's, that's pretty funny. But, um, but what's the point here? The point is that it's a never fading. It's a non-temporal crown, right? That somewhere in eternity, there will be a, a glory that is given to you that will never fade away. That is eternal. And the third thing we know about this crown is that it's given in the future when the chief shepherd appears, right? When Christ comes again. And there's an important lesson to learn here, which is that spiritual leadership, great spiritual leadership is a leadership that may not be applauded and rewarded in this lifetime. And that's not very encouraging to hear because we all like a little bit of instant gratification nowadays, right? We all like the encouragement, hey, you're doing a good job. Wow, I'm so glad you're a leader. Oh, this changed my life, that changed my life. This was great, this spoke to me. We like to hear those kind of statements. But great spiritual leadership is a leadership that may not be applauded and rewarded in this lifetime. In fact, more often than not, and if you are in the leadership, especially in church, you would agree with me that spiritual leadership involves sacrifice and commitment, does it not? It can be blood, sweat, and tears in this lifetime more than glory and glamour and rewards and acclaim. It's more about blood, sweat, and tears. But the promise of God in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, which is not exactly our passage today, it says this, Humble yourselves, therefore under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. And so we know that even though in this lifetime you may not receive the compensation that you deserve, you may not receive the acclaim that you deserve, that one day when the chief shepherd appears, he will give you the crown of glory that will never fade. The crown of glory that is from the Lord himself, not from man. A heavenly reward. And this is exactly how Jesus lived, didn't he? He didn't live for earthly acclaim. He didn't come here and establish his kingdom and, and make everything you know, serve him right now while he was on earth. In fact, he lived for eternity. This is our chief shepherd. He lived this out for us perfectly. Philippians chapter 2. Catch this. And this, this kind of sums up First Peter really well. In your relationships with one another, in your leadership with one another, whether you're a church leader, leader, whether you're a parent, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of his servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Church, this is the kind of leader that all of us are called to be. Whatever level of influence, whatever level of authority that we have been given, we have all been called to lead like Jesus. And Peter had a glimpse in the sufferings of Christ, the kind of leader that Christ was. My question to us today is, is that the kind of leader, is that the kind of people we are? Do we live for eternity or do we expect the acclaim now? 
Are we doing things to benefit ourselves here and now, or are we doing things to benefit others? Are we doing things out of obligation? Are we doing things willingly? Right now, I, I, I want us to, let's all stand to our feet, shall we? I want to give a call, and I believe that God wants to minister to some people here today. But before we do that, I believe that the best thing for us to do is to fix our eyes on Jesus for just a moment, contemplate who it is that we serve, who it is that laid an example down for us. And then as we do that, after we do that, uh, I'm going to give a call. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. Lord, you are the perfect leader. You are the chief shepherd. And you have given us the perfect example to follow, the perfect example to live by. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who is, although you are so above us in every way, Lord, you humble yourself and relate to us. You bring yourself down low, even though you don't have to, even though it doesn't benefit you, you gave yourself for us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would fix our eyes on you right now and let worship arise in our hearts. You are a great God. You're so amazing. Your goodness is better than life. So, Lord, we worship you right now. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Come, let's worship.